And we're continuing our journey. Uh, the kids, uh, this week is our VBS, as you heard a whole lot. Uh, it starts tomorrow. And I think the title of it is Journey Off the Map. Um, and the whole theme of the week is that God is our guide. His word guides us uh, in the path. And we don't know where the path is going to go, but God knows. And we are to trust his word. We are to follow him. And I would say the whole theme of the week comes out of John 14, uh, 6. Great, great verse, one of the, you know, fantastic verses in the Bible. Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father. Never thought how tragic it would be if there was just a period there? No one comes to the Father. Okay. <laughs> I guess that's it. <laughs> you're not going to make it. You, you can't get to heaven. You can't get to God. You, you're you're, you're out, of, out of it forever. But that's not where he ends the sentence. But it's really critical to see what he says here. No one comes to the Father except through me. The, the proclamation of the gospel is the proclamation of grace. We're saved by grace 100%. It's the goodness of God that we ever get to go to the Father. And it's all through Jesus Christ. I think it's the most tragic thing in the world. I've, I've done a, uh, my previous ministry was in uh, a hospital in San Jose. The biggest hospital in San Jose is called Santa Clara Valley Medical Center. And uh, I did counseling like uh, five days a week with mainly folks that weren't a part of church. But a lot of them had some sort of Christian background, you know, and they'd claim some Christian denomination. But time and time again in the interviews, I'd, I'd talk to them about uh, going to heaven and how, how can we be right with God. And inevitably, most of the time, tragically, these people who claim to be Christians, they start to answer that question as, well, I hope I've been good enough to make it to heaven. I'm a kind of a good guy. I take care of my dog. Um, I'm good to my neighbors, and I'm way better than that other person over there. And, and it's just tragic, because you know what? That isn't the Christian message at all. The Christian message is, I will never be good enough to go to heaven. Never. On my own. No one comes to the Father except through me, Jesus says. That's the glory. He's good enough to earn my way to heaven. He's worthy, and he died for my sins. That's what our worship songs are about. Uh, he took the wrath of God for me. So anyway, super exciting, abundantly wonderful words of Jesus in John 14. I'd also like to just reintroduce, and perhaps if... If I think about it, we might get back to it, but probably not. But just to echo from our psalm today, I like to connect it with us again. Psalm 119, we finished Psalm 119. It was quite a little journey we went through together. And Psalm 119, 169 says, Let my cry come before you, O Lord. This is somebody in really... Difficult circumstances. They're crying out to the Lord. Oh, Lord, help me. You know, that can come in all shapes and sizes, can't it? It can be significant or insignificant. It can be big or small. A lot of times it comes to me in, in kind of small things. Um, if I could be so bold as to share an experience I had this week. I had a great life-changing experience of changing the starter on our, on our Saturn, <laughs> a 2001 Saturn. And it's a very simple starter. It has two bolts holding it on. That's it. But the problem is one of them is super abundantly easy to get to, and the other one is up on top, which you can't see, and with my big fat arms, I can't feel it. <laughs> so 
It took two hours just to get that one bolt back in up there. And so my little testimony is, I'm crying to the Lord. I know it's a little silly, but this is serious. I'm, Lord, help me get this bolt in. I can't get it. I can't do it. And, and the Lord just answered my prayer. You know, like, poop, it pops in. And after two hours of hard, committed labor of getting that one single bolt in, I know that's a little almost humorous thing, but that's real life. It can be the small things or the really massive things. I cry. Let my cry come before you, O Lord. And then the, but the second half of this is what I really wanted to zero in on at the beginning here. Give me understanding, what is the rest of the phrase? According to your word. Remember Jesus said, um, and we're probably going to get to this uh, another time, but he said, if your eye is clear, then your whole body will be full of light. If, if, you, if the way you look at the world is is clear and accurate. If the way you are interpreting the flow of your life is according to God's word, then your life will be filled with light. Give me understanding according to your word. And so today's text is one of those texts where I hope we can say that to ourselves over and over again. Lord, help me to believe this. Help me to understand this according to your word, not according to my logic. What is that great proverb? Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, right? Which is, let's look at that real quick. Yeah, lean not on your own understanding. How does it go? But in all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will make your path straight. That's Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. This is in the English Standard Version. Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will make straight your paths. In, in our journey off the map, we don't have a map for where our life is necessarily going, but we can trust God who is the map maker. So let me read the text for today, but I, I want to read a little context because it's so wonderful. I'm going to read uh, starting at verse 1 of John chapter 14. John chapter 14, verse 1. And it starts out with three... We call them in uh, language studies imperatives, which are commands, three commands. One is, let not your hearts be troubled. You know, don't be given to panic. Do not delve into anxiety. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. So the antidote for anxiety is faith in God. I find it kind of ironic that many of us, myself included, we, we study the Bible. I've been you know, studying the Bible my entire adult, adult life and been preaching the Bible, and I love the Word, and I, I try to construct the best theology I can possibly construct, right? To have the truth about God and to trust it and know it. But when it really comes down to the nuts and bolts of life, are we really trusting God? And, and Jesus needs to talk to his disciples very directly. Believe in God. Let me see your faith by how it affects your anxiety levels. Are you given to anxiety? Well, then I don't think you believe in God at all. You may have perfect theology, you know, dotting the I's, crossing the T's, theologically correct, but at a real practical level, I'm a mess. So he says, guys, get a hold of yourself. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. You know, he says, I'm going to take care of you. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I, I go to prepare a place for you? 
You know, trust me, I'm telling you this. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself that where I am, you may be also. It's so sweet here because the desire of Jesus is to be with us. His promise is that you'll be with me. Isn't it wonderful to be where you're loved, where you're accepted, where the relationships are peaceful, uh, the ideal home you can think of, where you have a father and a mother and children who are happy and well cared for, well fed, they're happy, they, they giggle, they laugh together. Uh, this is the way it should be, right? Happiness and fulfillment and security where you're not worried that somebody is going to hurt you. Uh, you're you're in, in a love relationship. This is, the, this is the ideal. And Jesus says, this is the ideal. You're going to be in my house. There's room for you. Uh, there was a contemporary Christian music group. Uh, was it the Newsboys that had that song? It's a big, big house. Audio adrenaline, yeah. It's a big, big house with lots and lots of room. It's, there's a big, big yard where you can play football. <laughs> yeah. There's a big, big table with lots and lots of food. It's a cute song, and it really is hitting this point that Jesus is promising fulfillment and a relationship that is the way it ought to be. You and I are created for that. Sin has entered that and broken that all apart. But Jesus restores it by taking care of our sin. I go to prepare this place for you. And how does he prepare? He dies on the cross for our sins. It's not like he's going to Home Depot and buying two-by-fours and nails. You know, that's, that's a metaphor. How does he prepare for us to move into the house? By removing the obstacle that keeps us out of the house. No man comes to the Father except through me. If I go, I'm going to take you and I will, I will come again and take you to myself. I, I believe that this really happens. Even, you know, it's apocalyptically, it's going to happen in some dramatic, amazing way in the future. We believe that. The Bible teaches that. That Jesus is coming back. And everyone will see him, and there'll be a huge, you know, massive changes. Uh, but short of that, I think in some miraculous way, Jesus comes to every dying believer and receives them to himself. And they are no longer there in that body. They're with the Lord Jesus, and they're, they're totally fulfilled and happy, and they're not, they're not upset. They're peaceful and everything is wonderful and I think in other words these guys who heard this promise these actual physical 12 guys here uh, whoever they were in in this particular context it was fulfilled for them specifically even though the apocalyptic thing hasn't happened yet you follow what I'm saying that's my personal belief that he came he says I will come again and will take you to myself that where I am, you may be also. And then he says this, verse 4, and you know the way to where I am going. You know, they, they should have known. He'd explained it to them so many times. We looked at this last week. He was blunt and clear in his teaching uh, over and over. He's repetitive. Uh, you just look at the record in John. But at that time, they weren't catching it. So Thomas says to him, which I think is a bold question. You know, ask the bold questions. Don't just sit there and not understand. Ask the question. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do... I don't think this is, you know, doubting Thomas. He's just being honest, Thomas, here. <laughs> Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? And notice that repetitive, it's the same thing. The way, you know the way to where I'm going. You know the path, you know the journey, you know how to get there. How can we know the way? We don't know where you're going. And Jesus said to him, I am the way. 
Uh, I like to point out because we're, we're so Spanish uh, here in California, that word is Camino, uh, El Camino, uh, El Camino Real, right? Is this street that travels the distance of California. And just, just be reminded, it's a pathway. It's a, Jesus is the Camino. He's the road to connect us to God. You aren't the road. My own works aren't the road. He's the road. Uh, it's so important because the minute you think you can earn your connection to God, you're fooling yourself for one thing. You're, 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 what's the word I'm looking for? You're tragically deceived and you're underestimating your problem because you think you can solve your problem and you cannot solve your problem. You need miraculous external intervention. I need Jesus, you do too. And that's why he says, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. Earlier he said, I and the Father are one. He's saying uh, early in John's Gospel at the very beginning, um, look there with me at John uh, 118 in his introduction, John 118, he says, No one has ever seen God. See, God is invisible. He has no body. He's not a huge big man. He's invisible, immortal, invisible uh, God. No one has ever seen God. The only God who is at the Father's side, so one of the members of the Trinity, also God, one God, existing in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, the only God who is at the Father's side. Isn't that language incredible? Without what we call the Trinity, this would make no sense at all. And even with our doctrine of the Trinity, it still hardly makes sense. But it, it's just profound and wonderful and amazing. God is complex and, and phenomenal, and he blows our mind. No one has ever seen God. The only God who is at the Father's side, he has made him known. So the whole purpose of Jesus is to communicate the truth about God the Father. And so we can know truth about God through knowing the revelation of Jesus knowing what he has said. And that's exactly what he's saying here in John 14, verse 7. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Have seen him. No one has seen God. But we see God when we see Jesus. I was so impressed and I'm so thankful for the great testimony of that AME church in Charleston, uh, South Carolina, uh, after this horrendous, murderous thing that happened at a Bible study. How many of those people said, we forgive? We're ready to forgive. And the reporters are going, what? How can you do that? And, you know, the answer is, I forgive because I'm forgiven. Jesus died for my sin. And I can forgive that man for this horror, not to belittle the horror, but I can forgive it because of what Jesus has done. And we've seen the Father when we see Jesus. Jesus pays the price for sin. He goes the ultimate to secure a relationship with us so that we could be with him. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. And then, then Philip asked another good question, just showing how he's fairly confused. And I don't fault Philip or Thomas. I understand we'd be just as confused. First of all, like I said last week, one thing is we depend on the Holy Spirit to understand these things. Um, and they hadn't even received the Holy Spirit yet. But Philip says, Lord, show us the Father, and it is enough for us. Jesus said to him, have I been with you so long and you still do not know me? You can almost hear pain in that statement of Jesus, right? He sounds like he's upset. He's insulted. Like, Philip, 
You missed it that much? What does that say? Well, I've taught this a few times. I I think it says that God has expectations for his followers. He expects us to know his word. He expects us to listen. To listen to what he said. So how can you ever listen to what he says if you don't read the Bible, if you don't know the Bible? Again, I go back to that common experience people who denominally, denominationally identify with some Christian denomination and yet don't have any idea what the Bible actually says. Shame on us. Because the expectation of God is, hey, I've revealed it. You should know this. You say you've known me all these years and you don't know this, Philip? He says, verse 9, whoever has seen me has seen the Father. There's that repetition. You can't see the Father, but we see the Father in Jesus. And we have the historical record of what Jesus said and did. So we see the Father. What's he like? Jesus explains him. He's not this angry, unpredictable being whom you can never please. He is the being who provided for our salvation in taking his own wrath on himself. The only means possible of paying that wrath. Because if if it were left up to us, it's an unpayable debt we pay for eternity. And it's never paid off. The wages of sin is death. Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Verse 10. And, and see, the, the theme here is believe. At the, the imperative at the beginning was believe in God. Believe also in me. Two imperatives. Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does his works. Notice the connection of the words of Jesus and the works of God. He's saying, this is the truth. What I'm saying to you, this is the word of God. This is the absolute truth. I am the way, the truth, and the life. This is the word of God. People who contradict it, people who say, no, that's not true, or people who say, well, that's kind of true, but we have a newer, better revelation, they're contradicting Jesus. They're saying, no, he's not right. We have better information. And there's no room for that here. The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own, own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does his works. And here's this pleading again. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me. So there's no disconnecting Jesus from God the Father. You can't say, well, I like the concept of God but I'm sick and tired of you insisting that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. I think that's too narrow, and what happens to that person over there or that person over there? I just I can't believe that. Well, I guess I should say I'm sorry. You're, you're boxing with God, and your arm is too short to box with God. He is always going to win. He will win this argument. And and he is the truth. And Jesus and the Father are intimately connected, absolutely 100%. He said, I and the Father are one. Uh, But, okay, verse 11. This is all introduction. I'm going to have a sermon pretty soon here. (laughs) Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me. Or else believe on account of the works themselves. He he done these fantastic miracles just recently. He raised Lazarus from the dead. Lazarus had been dead for four days. Okay, now our text for today, just three verses. Truly, truly, and that's where I get my title. Truly, truly, you may have guessed. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me. See, there's no prerequisites here. There's no cultural categories of people who can get this. 
There's no educational requirements. It's whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do. And greater works than these will he do. Because I am going to the Father. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do. That the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. Let's pray. Oh, Father, as we heard beautifully sung for us in preparation, Lord, we ask that you would speak to each of us. You have sovereignly brought together the perfect group of folks for this message today. And our prayer, Lord, is that uh, the speaker, me, I would disappear. And you, O Lord, would be greatly in, in appearance. And we would see the Father and we'd hear his words and understand his works. Challenge us, Lord, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So this, these three verses are so challenging, aren't they? I mean, if you really take your time just to understand what he's saying, it's stretching, really, really stretching. First of all, though, I'd like to start out with a little bit of introduction. That is, ask this question, when do we need to believe? When do we need faith? Well, I think now, like never before, we need faith. I, I mentioned the the horrible racial hatred that's just bubbling up in our nation. It's, it shakes you. You go, what in the world? What is going on here? It's so horrendous. How are we going to overcome this? What should we be doing toward it? And then we have a world at war. I, I like to listen to the talk radio. I think it's a habit I got from my dad. He always had the radio on. KNBR and KGO out of San Francisco all through my childhood. Um, and I liked listening to the radio. And I, they were talking about the, the Houthis in this war in Yemen. And I go, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, there's a war in Yemen. Forgot about that one. You know, it's, I mean, I'm not trying to be funny, but it's like, wow, the, 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 the world is just overwhelmingly scary. All the things that are going on and the uh, ISIS, all of those things. When do we need to believe in God? When do we need to trust in Him now more than ever? These are very trying times. Talking with some members of the congregation, we're pointing out how, you know, the, uh, America used to be a comfortable place for Christians. Probably a problem. <laughs> Maybe that was part of the problem, right? Uh, it, it used to be easier to be a Christian. Now it's less and less popular, and you and I will be facing more and more opposition. Uh, for example, if you believe that God is the creator, uh, there are schools like, I, I know for example, Columbia Medical School, I had nephews apply there. I've had four of them go there, and they got a new president, and the new president, in the interview process, if he, not he himself, but if they discover that you believe in literal creation, you, you will not get into Columbia Medical School. Because they say, I'm sorry, that's post-scientific. It's, it's, it's irrational. We can't have you as part of our school. We don't care anything about you. It's just, it's not as popular to be a Christian anymore. We're facing trying times. When do we have to believe? When do we have to be really anchored into what we believe? Now more than ever. And in our personal lives too. We are tried off and on, aren't we? We're stretched. Uh, there can be areas where we just have a long-term grief. We need to trust the Lord. Uh, it can be all sorts of things, employment, economics, health, you know, personal relationships. You and I need to be people of faith, to be people of expectation, to be people of trust in the Lord God, not to be discouraged to be down, to be depressed, to be anxious constantly. This is not the way Christians should live. We need it now more than ever. You know, interestingly enough, I think here at this church, we need confidence in God now more than ever. 
You know, I've been the pastor here 18 years, and that's a long time. So a lot of, a lot of the fault is my fault. You know, if there's something bad here, it's probably something to do with me. Uh, sadly true. But um, interestingly enough, at no time in our history in the last 18 years have we been quite shaken like we have in the last uh, couple of years. You know, our attendance is down a little bit. Right now our budget is... I think it's the worst it's been in 18 years. We're running behind. It's scary. You know, when do we need faith? When do we need to be crying out to God for his direction and help? It's now more than ever. No time in recent history have we had a need to honor our master, obey our master, believe in him, and pray than now. So why should we believe? This text keeps saying, believe, believe, believe. And by the way, it's not. I love Walt Disney, right? <laughs> I just love going on Main Street and just, just taking it in. You know, have those ragtime bands. <laughs> it's awesome stuff, right? But the gospel of Disney is really sad, right? Basically, it's believe in whatever you want to believe. <laughs> just make something up and believe. Uh, no. That's not what Jesus is saying, is it? Look at the content. He says, believe in me. Believe in God. Believe in the words I've given you. Content. It's, it's a, like a container ship filled with glorious containers stuffed with content. It's not an empty faith. We don't have a leap of faith into the darkness. We have an informed faith. We can know. It's still challenging and difficult. Still mysterious and wonderful, but it's revealed. So why should we believe? First of all, I want to point out, I've already pointed out, it's a command. It's a command. It's not, Christians aren't allowed to just blow this one off. No, I'm not going to believe in you. I'd rather be given to anxiety. I'd rather be given to depression. You don't know how hard it is, God. Huh? <laughs> he knows he's the sovereign God over everything he wants you to trust him even when I know it's silly but struggling under that Saturn getting that bolt in so hard I wanted to call for help and I thought no I'm going to stick through this thing and make it happen we have to trust him stick through the difficult thing don't give up it's a command of Jesus. And, and not only is it a command, but Jesus is urging us. He doesn't just walk into the room and shout orders, does he? He does, you know, speak orders. But he, he urges us, too, and he, he convinces us. Philip, believe. Come on, I want you to believe. He doesn't say, come on, but <laughs> you get the point. I'm urging you to do this. And then... He also prevents motivation. He presents motivation for us to believe. Why should we believe? And that's what we get to today, motivation. We will do greater works than Jesus. I can hardly even say this with a straight face. It's so incredible. It stretches me. What do you mean, Lord? That's impossible. You just raised the dead. I've done many, many funerals in my day, and I've never even asked God to raise the person out of the casket. You know, cut me a break here, right? You wouldn't want me to either. You know, it's like, what's done is done here, Nate. Don't, don't be doing that. Unless it happened a few times, I suppose. But honestly, it begs the question, what do you mean, Jesus? And how do you mean this? Let me read the word again. Whoever believes in me will do the works that I do, and greater works than these will he do because I am going to the Father. Always look at the whole context of what Jesus said. Don't just take little bits and pieces. He says, you'll do these greater works because I am going to the Father. Jesus is going to the Father to facilitate our works. What is he talking about? Well, one thing is, when he goes to the Father, they, the Bible teaches us, the Father and the Son will send us the Holy Spirit. And historically, 
at the time of Pentecost, the disciples received the Holy Spirit, and there was a, an explosion. Before Pentecost, there were, it says there were 120 people gathered in an upper room, probably filled with fear. And that same day, they were f- literally flushed out into the street, preaching the gospel bluntly, publicly. And 3,000 people came to know Jesus Christ as Savior and were baptized that day. If you do the math, I think some of the new believers were helping with the baptisms. <laughs> you, must have, you must have had some leaders right away there. Um, seriously. So there's a, there's a greater greaterness uh, to that right there. We're going to open that up in, in a little bit. But they, the Father and, and the Son, will send us the Holy Spirit. He's going to facilitate our work. I'm going to the Father to make room for this to happen. And now... Jesus has gone through death, burial, resurrection, ascension. He's in heaven. The Bible teaches he's at the right hand of God, and he's praying for us. He is your intercessor in heaven. I put the reference there. Look at that with me. Romans chapter 8, verse 34. Oh, it's after John. Romans 8, 34. Verse 31, what shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who is interceding for us. So here's what I'm saying. He's commanding us to believe in him. He's commanding us to do works for him, to attempt great things for God, because he's going to the Father where he's praying for us, and he is ready to work through us to bring success and great things to happen. He is interceding for us with the Father. What does he mean by greater works? Now, first of all, I have this bullet point. He's stretching us. He he wants us to go, what? Like, wow. You know, I, I can't possibly do that. He wants us to think bigger, right? He doesn't want us to think smaller, like, well, this is it. This is a failure. Nothing will happen here. I can never do this. Okay, you can't. But God can work through you. Uh, Hang in there. Stay with the faith. Believe. He's stretching us. There was a great uh, Baptist preacher who preached in London uh, his whole career. And in fact, it was in Manchester. I, I don't know if he was a football fan or not with Manchester United. But this was uh, back in the 1800s, 1890. And this is what he said. This is, his name is Alexander McLaren. He says, Our Lord has pointed to believing as the great antidote to a troubled heart, as the sure way of knowing the Father, as the better substitute for sight. And now here, He opens before us still more wonderful prerogatives and effects of faith. I called it, why should you believe this? He's motivating us to believe. Prerogatives and effects of faith. His words carry us into lofty and misty regions where we can neither breathe freely nor see clearly except as we hold to his words. See, we should be able to say, I don't know, Lord, but I believe this. I believe you will do greater works through me. I trust you in this. Help me hold on. Uh, Our family likes to hike, and we just came back from a vacation where we did some hiking. And we, uh, I think the biggest hike was uh, in Glacier National Park. We did an 8.25 mile hike and only climbed 1,300 feet. Not, it's really not that impressive. But, you know, for an older guy, I was carrying a little extra weight, 
at the time. <laughs> it's, it's challenging. It's, it's challenging. And one of the reasons I really love to do it is because my body keeps saying, don't do this. Quit. Quit now. Turn around. You're never going to make it. And yet I push through it. I love pushing through it. It's so awesome because at the end, you can preach about it. <laughs> you know, and it always sounds better than I tried and I quit after two miles. <laughs> see, but, you see, attempt great things. His words carry us up into lofty and misty regions where we can neither breathe freely nor see clearly. The, the air is thin up there. He wants us to get up into some thin air. Where what? We have to trust him. We have to have confidence in him. We have to know his word, nor see clearly except as we hold to his words. Therefore, he prefaces them with his verily, verily. Truly, truly, this is really true, guys. I'm going away, and you're going to have an amazing experience. And you're going to see God work through you in ways you never imagined. Verily, verily, bidding us to listen to them with sharpened attention as the disclosure of something wonderful and receive them with unfaltering confidence on his authority. However marvelous and otherwise undiscoverable they may be. So first of all, clearly these words are here to stretch our faith, to shake us up a little bit. You know, the Christian life isn't about attending church once a week and then, then sitting on your sofa watching TV the rest of the week. You, you need to be doing what God wants you to do and, and planning bigger and better things, helping to reach people around you that don't know the gospel, controlling yourself in increasing ways to become a mature believer. That's why we're here. Greater works. He is stretching us. And here's some ways that I, I, I'm brainstorming on how it could be greater. Our works are greater in geographical spread. That's true. And in Colossians 1.24, Paul says, I'm filling up what is lacking in Christ's affliction. There was nothing lacking in the death of Christ. But what was lacking is to take the gospel to the Roman world. Jesus never left Palestine. So in a sense, it's geographically greater here we are studying the words of Jesus 2,000 years later, and that's my next point, uh, is uh, temporal impact. We're, here we are 2,000 years later, many, many believers gathered here to, today. There's believers all over the globe, and here on the West Coast, as the sun moves toward us, they've already worshipped the Lord. There's you know, people in China, millions of Christians in China, millions of Christians in India, uh, you know, in Indonesia, the church is growing. In, in the Arab world, there are people living in underground faith all over the globe because of the work of these faithful 11 guys. He did great works through them, and he's continuing to do great works through us. Our works are greater in temporal impact. Our works are greater in sheer numbers. You know, at the end of the, the time of Jesus, he seems to have had about 120 true converts. And the next day, after he was gone, the Holy Spirit comes. There's 3,000, and now there's billions. He, he promised this. He said, the kingdom of heaven will be like a, you plant a little tiny, tiny seed, and it's going to grow up to be this really huge tree. And that's what we have experienced. The beauty is that it's still Christ working, though. Listen to the rest of the text, right? Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do. So he's still doing the work. He does the heavy lifting. He's the only one that can touch lives and change people and bring salvation. We're commanded to preach the gospel, never commanded to save people. We can't do that. He can. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. It's all for the glory of God the Father. We should pray for God's powerful work. God is glorified as we pray. And finally, Jesus continues to work. 
He's continuing to work. Notice the repetition. This I will do. I will do it. If what? If you start asking. Why don't we ask? Why don't we pray? Why aren't we asking? Because we don't believe. We don't believe anything will happen. We don't believe change is possible. And he's saying, believe, believe. What can I do to get you guys to obey this? I, I am here urging you. I'm providing motivation. I'm commanding you to do this. We should pray for God's powerful work. Here's a couple of auxiliary verses. Listen to John 15, our next chapter, verse 16. You did not choose me. This is John 15, 16. You did not choose me, but I chose you. Okay, so we're, we're believers, not by our own choice. You know, how did you get here? Uh, he, he chose me. He has a purpose. It's his work. I'm a believer because he chose me. The Bible is very clear about this. Uh, it says we love him because he first loved us. He loves us first. He chooses us. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide, remain, not temporal, not temporary fruit, but real, honest to goodness, abiding fruit, so that whatever you ask, the Father in my name, he may give it to you. Now, just a, a real quick word here. Um, Unfortunately, uh, human beings are creatures of habit. That's an actually super fortunate thing, but it also has downsides. And, and so the church sees this teaching, you ask in my name, so I don't know the history of it, but somewhere way back in history, we got into this idea of say, we say in Jesus' name, amen. And it's almost like a mantra, like, you didn't pray because you didn't say those words, <laughs> right? By the way, there's not one prayer in the Bible that ends that way, okay? And Jesus doesn't expect us to mindlessly say words as if they were some sort of magical words that we tack on at the end of the prayer. He wants us to understand the content of this. And, and here it is very briefly. I, I go through this conversation a lot. I come to God and ask him for help on the big and the small things. And then I go to myself and say, well, on what basis could I ask him? Am I saying, I deserve it? I'm good? I've earned this, Lord God? You, deserve, you, you owe this to me? No, none of that is true for me. Maybe it's true for you, but I don't think so. We come in the name of Jesus. We come in his authority because of his righteousness. He's perfectly righteous. He's fulfilled all God's commands. He's obeyed the Father perfectly. We come in his name, and we are commanded by him to ask, to come and ask in his name. I come in the authority of Jesus, Lord God, only Jesus, all of grace, not my works. I come in the name, trusting him completely, now, you can mean that, and I, I pray this way a lot. I'm not criticizing people who pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I, I do it a lot myself. But let's constantly remind ourselves that that's not magic words. Those are not magic words. That, it's the content of grace. We only come through Jesus. So whatever you ask, let's ask. Whatever you ask, the Father in my name, he may give it to you. John 15, 16 and one more quickly, John 16, 23. In that day, you will ask nothing of me. Truly, truly, I say to you, whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he will give it to you. Until now, you have asked nothing in my name. Ask, and you will receive that your joy may be full. Jesus continues to work. So I close with just this idea. Truly, truly, really? Is that our faith really is about? Believe and ask. Believe and ask. Let's pray. Oh, Father, we pray through the righteousness of Jesus Christ alone and in accord with 
his commands and his teaching today. We pray, Lord, that we would glorify you, that you would work mighty works through us individually and corporately as a church, that you would do amazing, wonderful things for your glory. In the name of Jesus, we ask this. Lord, we pray that we would be people who are positive, who uh, would trust Jesus to work through us, who would expect him to do good things through us. Help us not to be distracted and pushed off the track by the inherent resistance of the world and the easy tendency we have to get discouraged and depressed. Lord, help us to be positive and ask you for help and, and trust you and know you. In the name of Jesus, amen.